0: Hello, and welcome to The Kosh. I'm your host, Timber Smith, and The Kosh is a podcast that spotlights people who have had an association with The Kosh or the surrounding Fox News area. Kosh listeners, how are you doing out there? Um, let me give the report. It is a fabulous morning. It is That is it. It's not too cold. We actually got a little sunlight. I don't know about you, but I was really, I had had it. With all the dark, we had way too many days of no sun. And you know what? I do believe it does affect your moods, like all sorts of stuff. Like I I, here's the thing. As a podcaster, I listen to other podcasts and I actually listened to an episode that talked about um, what happens when you don't get light as a, as a human, as a person and, and, and how it can affect your appetite and, and your happiness and all of this stuff. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna have to do better. I'm going to have to make sure that when there is light, I am in it. I am not kidding. So that 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 is just something I wanted to put out there to you uh, to think about. Also, if you have the winter blues, um, there's those. Uh, I do have one of those happy lights, as they call them. Um, do what you got to do and get out of the winter blues. So, um, gosh, listeners, you know what I'm going to say. Once again, I don't know how I get so lucky. That I get all these amazing guests. This week's guest is going to be fire. I just feel it. You know, once again, certain, certain people walk in the space. And you just know. It's just like I get excited because I know the conversation is going to be um, just impactful. That's the word, impactful. So, you know, without further ado... This week's guest is Moushey Subula. Moushey, did I get that right? Yes, sir. Hey, that's what, you know what? I've been on a roll. I'm not going to lie. I've been on a roll. I ain't slaughtered nobody's name really bad in a while. I'm getting better. Maybe this is the experience of it all. How are we doing this morning? We're doing good, brother. We're doing good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, are you ready to jump right in? I'm ready, my friend. Okay. Okay. Um, Lushe, can you please share a little something about yourself and what is your connection to the cash and uh, the surrounding Fox Cities area? Yes. Um,
1: first of all, greetings to you, Timber Smith, for uh, this wonderful broadcast or podcast. I must confess to you that um, the episode that you did with uh, Colleen mm. and uh, you talked a lot about Sepo and what we do CEPA as an organization yes I should as as well let you know that that episode was uh, listened to to my friends in South Africa and also <gasps> in Zambia because Colleen spoke a lot about work that we do as Sepo. so I had to share it like you guys you, you need to listen to this yeah so like you said uh, I should introduce myself as well my name is mushe Suburwa um I was born and raised uh, on the western part of Zambia called Barotseland. It's a little tiny, uh, tiny area on the western part of the country, uh, Zambia. Um, so I grew up there. I think um, all my formative st- uh, stages of my life were formed up uh, living on that in the village. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I moved to the cities uh, when I was like 15, 16 or 17-ish. That's the first time I had an encounter of being in the actual city of, of Lusaka.
0: <laughs> for, was it? It was for soccer, Lusaka. Lusaka. Okay. That's
1: the capital city of Zambia. Oh, yeah. okay. So you can imagine a, a young boy who grew up in a village. All you know is what you you see or what you are taught by your parents or your surrounding uh, community. Life was as simple as you can uh, as you can get it. No electricity, uh, no running water, everybody walking barefoot. There was nothing unusual. It was just like joy and happiness, you know. I never, in those early years of my life, understood what poverty is because everybody looked like me. So until when I moved to the city, uh, when I was like 15, 16, I realized, oh, my God, I was that kid from the rural area, kid from the village.
0: That is so powerful. Yeah. I, I just, I wanted to pause on that because that is so powerful. Like if everyone looks and is living the same, mm-hmm. then you're not judging no. on on, on yes. wealth or socioeconomics. Right. Like that's so powerful.
1: Exactly. You know, it's like every, everybody looks the same. I, I can tell you those years from my first grade to the seventh grade, I think everybody walked barefoot. There was no shoes, you know,
0: mm.
1: and there was nothing wrong with that. You know, you'd walk, you'd walk in the bushes, or if you f- we had only one street and a one one road but. passing through town to the village, you know, so there was nothing unusual uh, during that time. We ate the same. Uh, we we drank water from the from the well, you know. Um, in terms of like bathing, swimming, most of the time, like the boys. Would go to the nearby creek or a stream and and swim there. The girls would swim on the other direction, uh, the other area. The, the side for the girls would be the other side, and then the boys would be the other side. It was fun, you know, as kids growing in that environment. It was every day was uh, you know, you were, as a child you looked forward to the sunrise because you know things are happening from morning until evening. Oh. It, it was awesome uh, growing in the village and. Um, I can tell you, when my brother decided, because he was living in the city, he had um, he was a professor at the university, and he, he thought like he should afford me some kind of education, bring me out of the village into the city. Um, I was like worried and curious, like how is the city gonna be like to move from the rural area to the city. So, yeah, it was overwhelming, and um, I think uh, when I got to the city. Like I said, at sixteen, seventeen, I do remember the first time my brother did was uh, to not to take me to the to the shopping mall to buy clothing. No, it was actually um, get his own pairs of pants and take me to the tailor and uh, Bruh. you know, like to adjust uh, to adjust his normal size pants to make it you know fit me, and then got me some pairs of shoes.
0: Yeah, they were very
1: uncomfortable first few days, you know, it's being in the city. And the food for me was terrible, because you are now getting uh, introduced to processed food, you know, stuff like mm. that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The, You know, the milk, everything was a little bit different for me compared to what I was used to uh, to eat, you know. So that was my life in the city. So I came to the city when I was, you know, 15, 16. So that transition was not that easy, because now um, I'm Going to a real classroom now, where I'm gonna be with kids who are like ahead of me in, in everything. You know, when I mean everything academically, these are kids who are who, are in, who have access to t- to television, you mm. know, maybe even access to world news, you know. Right. You know, right. I'm I'm coming from a place there's no electricity, so all you learn is what you learn when you go to a classroom for those two three hours. Then you are done. You know, so now you're coming into a classroom, now you're with these kids who are born and raised in the city. They have access to everything. So it was a constant struggle even to fit in, 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 in that, you know, environment, you know. But also learning the language also was also another, another barrier because in the rural area, I didn't really care much because there's so many local languages surrounding me, which I was comfortable in learning and speaking these other languages. There was English as well, but not as much spoken. But then I moved to the city. That's uh, um, the other part of the country now. Now I have to adjust to the food. I have to adjust to the language. I have to learn, actually, learn these other new languages to fit in with kids as we play in the neighborhood.
0: What was the primary language, if I can ask?
1: Uh, on the western part of the uh, western part of the country where I come from, we speak um, a language called Lozi, uh, but really in if you listen to it, really, you would find out it's um, it's a language really spoken in South Africa because my people, when they migrated from South Africa to that part of the country, Zambia, um, they brought in uh, the language. It's a long history. I can tell you, uh, if you pay attention to uh, Southern African history, you're going to find out about the great king, King Shaka Zulu. Okay? Mm. So King Shaka Zulu, during his time, uh, a lot of people basically, uh, you know, no one was willing to die, because before King Shaka Zulu, conflict was always resolved through talking, conversations, you know, there was no blood, like, really shedding. but when King Shaka became king, before he became king, he realized, like, Whoa, what kind of war is this? You know, war of talking? No, war is actually, it has to be bloody. So, those tribes had to fight the king, King Shaka Zulu, and if... They were defeated. They had to migrate up north. We're talking about the southern tip of the continent, but going up now. Mm. So they find themselves in these other places. But you have to understand, like, they're already defeated where they're coming from. But they're superior in terms of, like, military power. They have knowledge of military. So as they trek up north, the continent, they keep on crushing these other little tribes. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they ended up settling on the part of western part of what is called uh, Zambia today. That's where they settled. So they settled in that part also by crushing the local people there. And once they crushed the local people there, they in, basically they crushed the men. The whole idea was, in order to defeat a people, you have to kill all the men, remain with the women, marry the women, introduce your language. So the language that is spoken in the part where I come from really is South South African. God. So I fit very well in countries like South Africa, Botswana, um, uh, Swaziland. I can have conversation with people there because the language is similar. And I speak some of those languages too.
0: Yeah. How many languages do you speak?
1: Uh, I could say I used to speak fluently, like about 15.
0: Bruh. But... <laughs> that's, that's wild. Yeah, there's a lot. I can yeah. I can barely do my own well. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be amazed
1: how uh how when you're young uh your your brain is so I think it's wired to, to easily pick these languages. Right. I do see like even now that I'm older, yes, it's very e- easy for me to lose some of it. And um that's the reason why I listen to to a lot of podcasts from, from home. I, I watch a lot of movies, you know, to keep me going and so I don't forget. Right. Yeah. But in terms of our language capabilities, I think when we are younger, we are really able to, to grab those languages easily. Yeah. So that's uh, my movement from the village into the city. And then uh, from the city, I think uh, uh, I stayed with my brother, did my high school, did my first part of college, and then... Um, uh, when I was not happy with the country of Zambia, I decided to migrate back to South Africa, uh, and I lived in South Africa there for a few years. I was a teacher in a private school. I taught mm-hmm. in a private school, and I uh, ended up rising myself to a level of a principal. At, yeah, in high school, but unfortunately, I think in all five, my brother dies in Zambia, so I had to come back to the funeral of my brother. And that's how I met my lovely wife, Angela. And from that point, my life changed. You know, Instead of s- remaining in, in South Africa or South Africa working, I migrated to the United States um, mm-hmm. in 06, which is exactly like 17 years ago now. And um, so we stayed in Kansas, in Lawrence, Kansas, where she was uh, a PhD student by then. And then uh, when she graduated... Our first posting of a job was the cash, Ashkash. And that's how we get to find ourselves in Ashkash. Whoa, that, that's a trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Ashkash has been my home since 2008, for 15 years, I think. And um, my connection to Ashkash began with a wife getting a job here and also my involvement uh, in this community with, with this t shirt I'm wearing called Sepo Zambia a non-profit organization that we helped found with my wife um, more than 10 years ago. Yeah, So we do a lot of work here in our city of Ashkash, And also we do a lot of work back home in Zambia, starting from my rural community. Uh, we've been heavily involved uh, for many years there. We are on the ground. That
0: side, we're also on the ground here. Yeah. I know... Um before I had, uh, you know, this is my first time of uh, actually getting to formally meet you face-to-face, but I knew about you prior, and I know you've done um, quite a bit of work with our refugee population also in the region. Um, and how did that come to be? Um, yep. And and do you still do that work? Is that still part of what you're doing right y- yes,
1: now? Yes, uh, it's part of what I do or what we do with my wife and other friends. Um, the, uh, the refugee involvement for me... Came in naturally without even realizing that you are living. I've lived um, among refugees since I was born. Um, I'll give you a best example of the Western part of the country where I come from Zambia, uh, I mean, uh, Barozaland. During the time I was young, when I was a child, uh, there was a lot of conflict among our neighboring countries. So we had conflict in Angola. We had conflict in Mozambique. Uh, these are conflicts uh, of independence, the independence struggle, mm. the black people fighting uh, to, to, to rid themselves of the colonial British or colonial Portuguese, you know, colonial German. So the first conflicts really were fight the colonizers. And um, when those conflicts were resolved, Second conflict was how do we govern ourselves as African people? Mm. And then uh, that was a problem again. So we had the second conflict of among ourselves on who is going to take leadership. And those conflicts always resulted in bloody wars, people fighting and people dying and people migrating. So the immigrants migrating or running out from these countries, neighboring countries, some of them found out themselves in the part of the country where I come from And uh, the king, we have the king in my area, basically accepted those people and settled them. And the strategy of the king was, he's not gonna settle these um, immigrants in locations where they should stay alone, no. His idea, I think that's worked very well, was to integrate them among the the population, among the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess we became one, but you knew like when you left your village here, Less than a mile is another village where you have another tribe speaking a different language, so as kids, you play soccer together and you learn that language, you know, you eat their food, you learn you learn their cultures I mean, ceremonies are always the best for me to learn other people's ceremonies, and also to question some of the weird ceremonies they were practicing, you know <laughs> yeah, fair enough, right, yeah. So, you asked me about the refugee uh, thing. Let me expand on that. So, growing among those refugees, yes, the refugees, right? So, I'm growing among them. And then, um, even when I left the city, I mean, I left the village. Now, I'm in the city of uh, Lusaka, growing up there, doing my education, get myself done. And then, one thing happened. My sister uh, ends up getting married to a refugee guy from the... uh, Angola. But that refugee guy lives in, in the refugee camp um, some maybe two, three hours away from uh, our rural area. So she moved to live with that gentleman in the refugee camp. Okay, fine. That's, that's, that's my immediate sister. But then later on in 05, uh, 04, 05, 06, I meet my wife Angela. So part of her, uh, her research for her PhD program was to uh, I think she looks a lot into these human conflicts, what makes people migrate, you know. Right. So part of her research work was really focused on uh, on immigrant population, the refugees. So we spend a lot of time with her in the refugee camps uh, making interviews uh, of refugees from Rwanda, uh, from the Congo, from, uh, from the Congo, Zaire by that time, Angola, you know, trying to understand how they left because you may be surprised. Like when you are in those uh, refugee camps, what I saw myself doing some of those interviews, you would think like uh, refugee camps are only for people who are running from war, like victims, sometimes not even victims alone. the perpetrators end up finding themselves in, in those refugee camps. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, We're dealing with, um, uh, these refugees from Rwanda, uh, those that run away from the conflict, right? Okay. And then a few years later on, the perpetrators lost, which means the new government is chasing those guys. So where are they going to seek refuge? Right. They had to run to a neighboring country mm. for protection. So the neighboring country of Zambia, what does it do? It's, yeah. According to UN laws, you have to welcome everybody who's running, <coughs> on who, who needs protection. So it's, the, the government gives refuge to these killers or these criminals, and they're brought into the same refugee camps where now they do actually meet parents who, because some of the horrible thing that they did was uh, they would tell your mom and dad to kill your own son. So now you'd find the conflict again happens now in the refugee camps. So right. we we had opportunities so many times to have conversation with these people and try to understand. Like when you were doing that to this woman, what was in your mind? Trying to get to understand them. So my wife has been in that refugee mindset. I've been in it. I've lived in it. And hey, man, it looks like refugee community does not. Es- I can't escape it. The first time I thought I was done when we moved here. I'm like I'm not gonna be in the refugee camp here. We done. We we're in Kansas, so there were no refugees where we were. But when we moved to Ashkash, I think that was the first time, or I think, or maybe a year. Before that, they started uh, bringing refugee refugees here. I think the first one that I remember from the continent uh, are the Sudanese. Yeah, I think the Sudanese. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really I've been really involved with the refugee community, uh, the immigrant community. We still work with them every day, even as as far as yesterday, last night. So it's kind of like it's what we do. Yeah, we advocate for them. You know, you you have no idea how difficult it is for for people, for someone to be a refugee. You know, these are people who've left their loved home, where they, whatever they knew, behind looking for a better life. Right. Yeah, and when they moved into these refugee camps, you have to understand that um, I think at a minimum for somebody to even get a chance to be resettled, resettled anywhere, whether it's the United States or Europe, it could take 10 to 15 years. So some people will be born in a refugee camp we even grow older in the refugee camp because being resettled somewhere is kind of like a rotary ticket you're picked. Here. So when you see these refugees from Afghanistan, from Iraq, from um, from everywhere, when we see them in the city of Ashkash, for us we know we do know like what they've gone through to get themselves here. It's like a a chance. Others never make it to these places. They are born and die in the refugee camp. So when they come over here, we have some political rhetoric that is not true. That say, oh, man, these guys are criminals. Oh, my God. The voting process is that long, you know? Yeah. So that's what we do in short. Yeah. I, I don't think I can escape being among refugees.
0: Yeah. That is powerful. And wow. And yeah. <laughs> that, that was okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um. You ready to jump into the first segment? Yes, I'm ready. All right, the first segment is called "What in the world is going on with?" and that is where you start with the phrase "What in the world is going on with?" and you tell us what's on your mind, so, Mouché. Yes, what's going
1: on in the world? Uh, I think you could help me on this one. Sometimes I get to, I, I sit down and laugh. Uh, I hear a lot of things spoken. For example, uh, on the lighter note, the Groundhog Day. I'm
0: sure, <laughs> <but>. <laughs>
1: Yeah. My understanding of the groundhog day or the way I've understood it is that hog comes out. Mhm. I don't I can't
0: remember the date in February. Is it February 3 or what? Um we just had it. So you I it. I don't know if it's the be like February 1st or the last day in January. It's somewhere around in there though. But yeah, he he pops his head out or supposedly. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then If he sees the shadow, it's a tell and I actually don't know which one it is. It's like if he sees the shadow, if there's six more weeks of winter, or if he doesn't see it, you know, which one it is. I just think it's an odd ritual.
1: Well, you know, that's the thing that uh I'm so much sometimes intrigued about it because um aren't we just all human beings because we have these things that we 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 kind of believe in. Um what surprises me a lot, especially my my immigration to the United States or in the Western world, is uh, there are certain things, the Americans or the Western world, they look at other people practice or do. It's kind of like so weird, you know? And yet, I'm here. I see these things like, yeah, there's a groundhog there here. We believe when that hog comes out, it sees its shadow, you know, there's this blah, blah, blah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. okay that's weird <laughs> it's weird and then the second
1: thing is the halloween you know the halloween is is more popular and uh i've always looked at it like well it's almost like the celebration of the dead like ghosts and all that stuff right right well but when you flip the coin if i take you to my continent we really believe in that stuff and we are told, oh, that's witchcraft, you know. So my conclusion to this thing, like, wait a minute, so what we do there is witchcraft. It's bad, but...
0: But here you get, you, get, you get candy for witchcraft.
1: candy for witchcraft. And let me tell you what, one little funny story that happened uh, last November on Halloween Day. So there's a new lady, a uh, new uh, person from Kenya. She just moved into apartment here. And... Um, so I called her to come to my house to retwist my kids' dreadlocks. I think it was like maybe a day before Halloween. And when we were done, I was driving her, taking her back. She, This woman has no idea what really Halloween is. Oh, right. She has no clue. She's just from Kenya, from Nairobi. So as I'm driving her, um, there's a house near the, the pain and my gosh, that whole front here—they were like caskets, all these things. She freaked out. She was in the car, and she saw that. She was like, "Oh, what's that?" She's she's freaking out, and I'm like, "Oh, take your time. No, it's just Halloween." She's like, "Is that real?" You know why? Because home, we do believe in such things. We—if you saw a casket home this morning, let's say you found a casket somewhere, oh my god, people would panic. And when she saw that here, she was like. Are people not panicking? I'm like, no. This is the yearly ritual that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is a ritual. It's a ritual. Uh. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's happening in my thing. Yeah. So on a f- light or not, like I said, um, the Groundhog Day and uh the other one is um uh this heavy attack on education, uh, especially um in the education of our histories of Either black people or conflict, you know. Facts. Yeah, you know. Facts. I I do, I I wrestle with it every day. I'm sure you know what's going on in Florida right now Mm -hmm. where the governor is taking, government there is, they are taking stuff. Not only are they banning African-American studies Mm -hmm. or burning books to talk about our histories. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, it really puzzles me because even when I was, like I tell you, I was born and raised in a village and then grew up into the city and went to school, I can tell you I learned and studied a lot about the United States and uh, Europe. I understood uh, the histories of, uh, of those, those two uh, continents and then our people. But when I start to think about what's going on in this country where the governments are taking steps to actually burn these things, Ban uh, the histories of black people. I think what happened in Tennessee a week or two weeks ago when it happens, it brings a lot of confusion. You know, confusion in a sense like uh, people don't understand why these things happen. When when, uh, George Floyd happened in, in Minneapolis, there are always other people that cannot understand. And I do understand why they don't understand is because the histories are not taught. Um, I'm so worried about my kids, my sons, uh, uh, what they are learning. How much is our school's, uh, Ashka School District, teaching them the history? You know, it's always <laughs> like sugar-coated. Sometimes it's good to learn it. As painful
0: as it is, it's good. No, and I think that's it. I think um, yeah, I can't believe that we are going through the extremes that we're going through to try to erase and i don't even know if it's truly erasing but but the attempt to have the perception that it's irrelevant or erase uh these things we have to own our history right good bad or indifferent because right. the, you, how do you learn from it if you're trying to fake from it no right mm-hmm. um my other thing is is that i don't i think what really the sad part about this is i just think it's just a divisive tactic it is like i don't think there's a seriousness to it. I don't think they're t- truly trying to erase the history. I think they're using it as something to mobilize uh, a group of individuals who are scared of the browning of America. Right, and so we're going to pretend like we're going to get rid of these things because it's it's anti-American or whatever they whatever whatever. The rhetoric they choose to use about it but it's it's kind of wild when you think about it like what's wilder to me is that people are buying into it it is yes because
1: again uh i think maybe to use a i shouldn't use this word i think a nation that is educated will be much better off yeah than a nation that is kept to be dumb and dumb because our kids if they're not learning these are the Future of tomorrow, you know they—they really need to learn the history. I'm talking about white kids, black kids to learn the histories. All kids, all kids, kids. (laughs) all kids should learn it. Now, if we don't teach our kids, it's the reason why I think when incidents like what's happening in what happened in in Tennessee or in Minneapolis or all over the country happen, even in Ashkash, uh, there's always a misunderstanding. You know, people would say racism is is over. You know, it can't be over. We need to talk about it. I think it's the responsibility of our leaders who are running these institutions to, to teach the truth. You know, yeah. So that's what has been uh, going on in my world this week. You know, just that's yes. wondering. That's
0: those. I love those. You. You those were no doubt what in the world is going on with i'm feeling that um my what in the world is going on with is uh what in the world is going on with chat gpt slash artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. now let me tell you i heard the buzz about this and the different things and so i was like okay you know now, artificial artificial intelligence does give me a little pause. It I'm a little shaky about it, but I was like, okay, I'm not going to pass up this opportunity. So, you know, the websites out there. Um, I've got a friend, shout out to Michelle, who sent this link um, to um, GP, GPT chat, and um, I tried it out. Right. So I'm gonna give mm-hmm. you, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually tell you what I did. So this morning. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, um, GPT. I'm just going to call it GPT for sure. GPT, right. um, what should I do my what in the world topic on? And this was the response from it. And I'm reading it verbatim okay. here. Artificial intelligence. And then it went on to explain, <laughs> it. explain it. Artificial <laughs> intelligence is one of the fastest growing and most transformative technologies of our time. It has the potential to revolutionize many industries and change the ways that we live and work. In this segment, you can discuss the latest developments in AI, the potential impact on society, the ethical considerations surrounding its use, and more. You can also invite experts in the field to share their thoughts and provide a deeper understanding of the topic. Now, once again, I had already picked this as my what in the the world, and then I asked it what it should be, and this is what it gave me. Tell me that's not (laughs) wild. (laughs) Like, it gave me so much pause. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, And I was like, whoa. And then, I'm not going to lie, that's not the only thing I asked. There was something else I asked it, and I'm not even going to talk about it, but the answer it gave me blew me away. It was too good. It was just too good. Oh yeah. So like, if y'all have not tried GPT Chat GPT. yet, you need to go out here right. and realize that this is real. Mm-hmm. Like the opportunity of what artificial, what artificial intelligence right now. It's 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 not. We're not figuring it out. It's here, right. and what it can do will. It's almost it. It's amazing, but it's also borderline scary too. Exactly. So, that's I don't know. Future. Have you used it yet? No,
1: not yet. Yeah, but I think that's the future, man. <laughs> that's where we're headed. Wait,
0: I'm going to give you another one, and it and uh, this is funny. So we went to a Bucks game, right? And then, so then we started getting contacted by the bucks through emails, right? And it was, it was this young lady's name. Um, I can't remember the exact name. So I'm just going to call her Esther. So Esther was sending emails and they were these nice emails and was kind of like, Hey, just so you know, we know you went to this bucks game. You know, we got these package deals, please reach out to us. You know, we can hook you up with a nice little package deal, you know, get you something nice, come back and see the bucks. And, and these were so nice. And I kept, and it kept messing with me because I was thinking, you know, I really should go to another bucks game. And so my friend, and the funny thing is this was happening to my friend Tarman too. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Chris Tarman. Um, and then, so he called and found out that the person that we were communicating with was artificial intelligence. So Esther was what? was not real this whole time. Oh my god! So we were communicating with artificial intelligence this whole time in the back and forth, and I was just like, "Whoa, that 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 was too." I mean, it's it's, it's amazing, right? So right now we're moving into a space that these companies. You're never going to know. Talk about the companies. I work for the company like that. <laughs>
1: Part of my work is what I do. I, I work with machines. I program machines. And machines do stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I worked in Ashkash a few years ago, there was a company called Airhead Conveyor Company here by, right. by the airport. I was basically building robots. So you build a robot, that's going to be... Um, just one unit machine and the JM Smarkers in Ripon, Wisconsin, the jelly company that makes jam jelly. Right. Basically, once you bring that robot, robot, you put it in there, it will eliminate maybe 20, 30 people's jobs because that machine is going to do it. You right. know, it's going to pick up uh, pick up all these jars, put in um, the product, put in the labels, seal it in, lift it up, pack it. put. So who needs human beings? So we are getting the position place where we are basically eliminating ourselves. I don't even know how we're going to survive because that's what we do. The car wash business. I'm sure you've gone to the car washes. If you you go on Jackson Street, for example, or or on Washburn here, a quick trip. If you go to a quick trip and you go over there, I'm sure back in time, many people used to wash their cars manually with their hands, right? On a Saturday morning, you'd you'd clean your vehicle, but we have become so lazy, so we just want to go in there and you know, sit in your car for two, three minutes, browsing through your your cell phone while the machine is doing that. Guess what? I spend a lot of time commanding that machine, you know, programming it to do that work. Mm. You know, as much as comfortable, the comfort that we are enjoying, but there's a danger to it, I think, the future. It may not happen in your lifetime, in my lifetime, but who knows?
0: What's coming out? Man. I don't know. Technology moves fast. It is. It just moves super fast. So I, I don't know. I just that just gave me yeah. pause, it is, man. So, all right. Next segment. Next segment is word association. This is where I'll say a word and you tell us what mm-hmm. comes to mind. Um, I love to start off with the what I call the unifying word of us all, which is food. Food,
1: food, yes. Um, when I think about food, I think about my mother, Woma, or Ima. We call, my, we call mom Ima in my, in my language. Um, so food for us is, food is culture. Uh, food is everything. Food is community. Or food is place. So when I mean place, I basically mean like, um, wherever, depending wherever you live in the world, what you eat there may not be exactly what the other people on the other side eat. Right. It might be weird food, like, oh, why are they eating that food? So I'm bringing my mother's story here in, in an interesting way. So growing up in the village again, we are cooking with fire, firewood to cook our meals. And uh, uh, we did the slow cooking, you know, like you're cooking maybe fish or meat, you know, on a fire using wood. Or sometimes using cow dung, dry cow dung, because cow dung when it's dry it burns so slow. It's kind of like charcoal, mm. but it's a slow burning but with good heat. So it would uh, cook your meat at a slow, you know, slow rate. But by the end of the day, oh man, it's just like in a crock pot. But what was very interesting uh, with my mom or just in my community there is when it's time to eat that food, that food should not smell smoke because mom would be pissed off. That oh. means you didn't do your good job. You didn't, do, you didn't do a good job. You let smoke in our food? Oh, man, mother will not be happy, you know. And then fast forward, I moved to the United States and my wife Angela takes me to uh, to Sioux City, Iowa and it was Thanksgiving time. And uh, the dad, Frank, is, you know, he loves to cook. So he has all these machines outside his, uh, you know, his backyard. And I heard he's smoking something. And I was, like, really shocked, you know. Yeah. Like, really shocked. Smoking food. So when it was time to eat, that food was, like, really stinking smoke. And I was, like, my mother would not be happy with this.
0: (laughs) But Right, and wait, I get it, because I smoke, I like, I, li- I got a smoker, I got multiple smokers, you know, like, right. that's a, it's, a, it's actually, a, you know, it's an art form of cooking right. for us, as but far as how you exactly. make meat.
1: Me exactly, yeah, that's like, food is culture, food is, like, place, really, so the weird thing about how we looked at it, with my mother's context here, is, you know, never should you allow smoke to, to sip through your, you know, your, your pan, you know, it would be a, kind of like you've messed up the food. You know, mother will not be happy that night, you know. But, over time, I realized how good smoked food is because now I now eat it here. Yeah. And then the other food that I so weird to think about it when I got here, crab, for example, crab, you know, it's one of the expensive food here, maybe, or we call it, I think you guys call it, is caviar or something like that? Caviar. Like, caviar, you know, uh. it's one of the most expensive, I think, stuff when you go in hotels around here or somewhere. But in short, that's, eggs for fish fish eggs right right yeah we used to eat them there they're not expensive it's just like it's one of the worst kind of you know you know when you're eating if your if your mom has maybe found two fish obviously how they used to do it is uh, they'll open up and they find the egg thing there oh the, the better part of the fish will go to their doubts first oh, your kids can eat the eggs you know it's kind of like the worst part of the uh, the fish the fish that's what you eat When I come over here, I'm like, oh, my God, that's the most expensive food, really? And then the crab themselves, very interesting, because I come from the place that has a lot of water. So during the fishing time, the fishermen will bring all the fish, crabs, um, uh, what other stuff that I see that is very good here, it's like, almost like seafish like shells shrimp shrimp yeah shrimp yeah, yeah, yeah. shells everything will be like discarded all that stuff is, is is bad that's what I knew it was really bad no one eats that stuff my eyes have opened up that's good stuff here <laughs> <laughs> it's, good stuff it's all stuff. Anyway, it's all relative it's right? all relative yeah so food's uh-huh. like really culture and you know you know so when I think about food sometimes I think about my late mom like huh it's very interesting, you know, moving into different space, and uh, even just the rhetoric behind it, just a conversation that I thought about every time I watch television. Maybe a new report would come in on t- on TV or CBS or something. They're talking about a certain press in on the continent. Oh, those people are starving. Uh, they're eating wild food. No, they they're living on wild fruits. And then I'm looking closely at the television. I'm looking at what are they eating? It's mangoes, actually. You know, mangoes. Oh, bananas. Because they're wild, really. <laughs> Sometimes it's so interesting with the rhetoric, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's food, my friend.
0: Cattail or beer.
1: Yeah, that one. Um, I have to be a little bit cautious about it. Uh, because um um I have seen, uh, not I've seen, but I've lived the experience where in fam- my family is either here in the United States and also back home how, how it has affected them in terms of being addict, ad, uh, addicts in the family. Um, but I should tell you, like, I'm not a funder. When I mean a funder, I'm not a fundamentalist, like, oh, I can't drink beer. I can't. No, I do take beer or liquor, but with caution knowing that I've seen what he has done to my brother. My brother cannot, like, he cannot function without drinking. You know, it's like he's an alcoholic, you know. But one of the most thing about it, even when I drink beer, when I know, like, okay, this is the level, I stop. Because I don't want to go through, like, what my brother has gone through and also other people gone through in my community here or there. And that brings me to this. When you talk about liquor or cocktail or something, Brings me to this. Okay, this is what I brought you from
0: home. Oh wait, look, cash listeners. I want I want you to know that he pulled out out of nowhere. I don't know where he was keeping this. A bag, and there is a. It's called amarula. Oh. I'm gonna tell you
1: a little story about amarula. Please do. So there's a tree back home, uh, in southern Africa. You find this tree in Zambia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, and South Africa. It's a mar- marula tree. So this tree produces these yellow fruits. These yellow fruits, when they when they are ripe, you'll notice. Uh, we do notice them when time for them to, to be picked up because you start seeing elephants and other wild animals trek down to those trees. It's so funny, actually, if you go on YouTube, you'd find elephants shaking the tree okay. so that all those fruits can fall down. And then they'll start eating them. And within a couple of minutes or hour or two, oh my god, they're drunk, <laughs> like really drunk, like gypsy, <laughs> Monkey is falling apart. Anything that eats that stuff, get drunk. So, um, so but as humans, my mom and other uh, adults in communities in South Africa, we they pick that uh, fruit and make uh, alcohol out of it. But what I can remember really very well is when, when they take this when they protect this amarula, you mm-hmm. can see this screaming. Yes, uh, it's an elephant here. I want you want to try. You gonna try it. So, what they do with this, they call it. Um, they they, when adults, so when elders want to meet, let's say in the evening to talk about issues about uh, the community, what is affecting the community, they call it an imbizo or indaba, meaning a meeting, of worth discussion and then they would drink this as they're having a conversation. Mm. It's really good, my friend. You can have this on the rocks. You can have it on crushed ice. It took me a long time to find this. So the first time I moved in, I migrated to the United States. I had to bring this from South Africa. And at the airport in Chicago, they asked me, what what the hell are you carrying? I was carrying a few bottles of this, and I was also carrying, a few, bo- uh, I think, a few bottles of my... Um, S- the soil, the sand. Mm. Basically, before I migrated to here, I went to the village and said, Mom, I'm going to the United States. So she helped me. She got a cup and dip on the ground and get me some soil and say, Hey, carry this wherever you're going. So I carried this and sand from my village. And Chicago was asking me, what's that? Like, oh, this is just sand. Okay, they checked. Okay, it's good. And what's that? There's nothing wrong... S- it's just uh, liquor. You should try it, man. This is Amarula. As okay. for you, my friend.
0: Oh, mm. look. Yes. There will be a report back, y'all. Cash listeners know. Bruh. And thank you. Mm. Thank you, can you find so it, much.
1: You can find that Woodman, actually. Can you? I, yeah, I had to, like I said, I, I struggled to find it in the United States. So I had to go and force Woodman to start importing it.
0: Oh. Yeah,
1: so Woodman started "Bring it. I'm sure, first of all, now should be carrying it in Oshkosh. Possibly. <laughs> change
0: that's what's up change Mm -hmm. i love it
1: yeah
0: um concert concert yes
1: i love concert but the kind of music that i listen to for me it's a little bit strange Uh, i listen to songs of freedom when i mean songs of freedom um because i was brought up in an era where african countries were uh fighting for their independence or liberation. And um, with that in mind, the local song that I listened to on the radio a lot was talking, there's more songs about freedom, how to get out from the bondage. So with concert, I really focused a lot on one gentleman. His name was uh, Lucky Dube from South Africa. He was a reggae artist. And um, I followed that man to his death. But the concert, I've gone to the daughter's concert here at Amadillo's in Chicago uh, when she comes. I love to go there, and I also go a lot to the reggae festivals in in Red Wing, Minnesota. Every year, I can't miss a weekend of reggae. Mm. Other than that, I also listen a lot to a lot of um, different um, genres of music in on Southern continent of Africa. We have what we call um, uh, we call it house music, a lot of beats. Like
0: <clears throat> A lot of beats, so that's what I listen to. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Mouche, I'm not gonna lie. You're gonna have to take me. I'm. I'm I need to go, I, especially uh, to this Reggae Festival. You are talking to? I. That, I look
1: that. I'll do, brother. i would do that.
0: And yeah. I, I need to go. I need to learn.
1: Yeah, it's a weekend. It's the last weekend. Normally, uh, last weekend in July, the last two weekends in July are basically Reggae weekends. One. Takes place in uh, in mm. and the one in Dalut is just one night, it's a Friday or it's a, fr- a Saturday night, one day. But that one brings all these heavy, big, big reggae artists from either Jamaica, all over the place. So if you know certain names, definitely you definitely find them there. Now the one in uh, in Red Wing is a little bit different. They bring just either a few Wild stage one and also other local guys. For example, we have a unit band. I think last year they were invited there. The unit—I think you know the unit band.
0: Yeah, I know unity.
1: Yeah, they were there last year. Um, so, but I love to go there because it's a place where I feel like when we are all there, everybody's in, in the mood of you know we have fun, we eat, we we dance to music, you know. Yeah, it's so fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, streaming, streaming. Streaming is one of the ways as that has kept me in touch with both my communities here in the US and also back home. Thank God, Netflix, Hulu, Prime has or has gives me all that. So, I stream a lot of music. Like I say, my job, my day to day job involves me driving a lot. So i I could be on the road for three hours or four hours to my next job for example i could have a phone call in the morning that i'm going to be doing some work in in Viroqua or uh, on alaska like that's lacrosse right so you can imagine from Ashkash to lacrosse almost 3 hours what am i going to do with these 3 hours so i right. need i need to keep up so i need music so i'll go to uh, youtube music and then stream some of this african music um, mostly when i do that kind of makes me keep the language because the more I stayed here, the more I start to lose the, my language capabilities. So they helped me to do that. But on the TV section, when I am home, um, like right now, currently on Netflix, I'm watching season two of The Kings of Johannesburg. The Kings of Johannesburg is streaming right now, season two. It's almost like um, it's a crime. It's a crime show, you know, If you have time, check it out. It's really good. And also they have, um, because I've taken my sons back home several times. And when I've taken my kids home, we do a lot of uh, safari. we go into the wild and see animals and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I was always doing that, taking them to these places so they can see what what is out there. But then I discovered, like, one of the the youngest has, uh, like, really, you know found himself to be loving these animal shows. So there are some series right now going on, I think, on um, Hulu. They are called Untamed Zambia. Mm. So it's like maybe like 12 different episodes about the animal kingdom in Zambia. D- they're featuring different uh, national parks. You know What animals are found in this park, what cultures. So that's what we are streaming right now. Yeah.
0: You got me on that one, uh, yeah. Okay, mm. and and now I'm gonna have to look that up. All yes, right, yes, we'll make yes, sure yeah. that uh, we're gonna make sure we put some of those in the podcast notes That's because because awesome. you know what? I know some listeners are out there like I want to know about that. Mm-hmm. I want to check that out for myself.
1: Yes, yes, they should, yeah. Tell yeah. the listeners to do that, yeah.
0: Okay, um, shop local.
1: Wow, shop local. Um, this is where sometimes I pick a bond with. I could pick a bond with you, an argument, with, or you or another person. Um, here's my belief. Sometimes shop local may not be as great as it could be. Uh, with the kind of work that I do, being an advocate, uh, even when we buy local, sometimes we are mindful. Like myself, I'm like really mindful uh, in my support of my dollar to a certain, um, certain business. So, for example, if it's it's a business, it's a local business that has, um, you know, that is, I always see, like, it puts its money that harms my community. Because the only power that I have is the dollar. It's kind of like a vote, you know, you only have one vote. Mm -hmm. So the only voice that I have is not to support that business. If I know, like, it marginalizes a certain group of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would rather even go... To a, you know, to, a, to a place where it will be not local. So, in short, I can say, yeah, we do. I, lo- I shop local, but sometimes I'm really mindful in doing my own research in certain businesses that we can support and certain businesses that we could not support because if we know that they're bigots. So, I will tell my people, like, I
0: think, uh, don't take your money to
1: that business.
0: It's local, yes, it's a local uh, business, but no. Facts. I... Oh my God, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's actually something um, I used to talk about a lot more in earlier episodes of the Cash. Like, uh, I have a tough time that some businesses did not treat mm-hmm. me or friends or people like myself very well upon entering their establishments right. um, within, this, within this community, particularly when I was younger, when I was here. And um, like, I'm not going, I'm, I can't give my money to that. Right. You know, I have fallen in love with the cash, but I will never give my dollar to
1: mistreatment. That's the thing. That's about me, too. Uh, I mean, like, we really, as much as we can support local, like we say, we just have to be mindful which, which local. Sometimes you could have a, a business that is not even local. It could be from California, but they have a franchise in your town, but if you know that that business is always on the issues that matter to you, it's okay to put your dollar there. Yes. It is okay because that's the only power you got. Yes. You know, for me, I tell my friends or my community like, well, you know that stuff that you like to eat? They don't like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah.
0: There's establishment. And look, right. you know, I always assume that if the, if the poor treatment Mm-hmm. if you get poor treatment and when you're there ready to spend your money, then they didn't want your money anyway. Exactly. And so therefore I'm going to do them a favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give it to them.
1: No, no,
0: no. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm going through something right now with, with a, uh, with a place that, um, I have garnered tons of love for, but I, I, am feeling a little, uh, less than optimistic about them and a little disrespected, and I'm just like, the one piece of power, and I, and I yeah. always tell my wife this, is that um, we, we just don't have to give them our money. Exactly. That's You know lawyer. what I'm saying? Look, it's, yeah. a, it's not, I'm not going to make us uh, stink about it. I, look, I got a philosophy. I, I've worked in retail a long time. Mm-hmm. And right. the one thing I learned is this. The person who says nothing is the most dangerous person. Exactly. It's not the person that comes into your establishment and yells and flails and makes a scene and no. It's the silent one. Silent one. The silent one is truly gonna do something about it. Whatever that looks like, whether it's contacting the CEO or right, <laughs> a right. lawsuit or, or whatever, but that is the person. It's the quiet one that you know mm-hmm. that you have disrespected or displeased. Right. Will always be the one that will give you the most angst and will, which will cost you the most in the long run. hmm. hmm. Just that's, my observation. That's
1: true, my friend. That is. Yeah. Diversity. Diversity to me, I think of it as one, oneness. Like together, you know, that's how I feel it together or oneness. Uh, with uh, I'm sure you've seen this, SEPO, our, organ- our name of the organization that we helped found. Yeah, the, the name of the organization we found is um, with what we do here as for SEPO, we do it for all of us, for all our communities. So, I find diversity in what we do as oneness, in short, yeah, community community wow this is very interesting um within the african community here uh within the immigrant uh, community i i find comfort a lot of time because uh it's where i find uh, myself be happy in what i do for them but again at a larger you know on the large scale i feel like um doing what we do, what I do, going around, helping other people. To me, that is a community for me, you know. And also seeing some members of that particular community come together and do certain things together, that sums it up. That's a community right there.
0: Facts. All right. I think at this time what we're going to do is we're going to take a little bit of a commercial break.
1: Did you know there are children in the Fox Valley in need of hearing aids, but their parents struggle to provide them because of lack of insurance or high copays? I am Juliette Sturkins, audiologist and board member of Here in the Fox Cities, and proud that this small local nonprofit organization has helped fund hearing aids for some 30 kids. Your donation would help more children here. Visit hereinthefoxcities.org to learn more and to see their smiles. Every child deserves to hear.
0: All right, we're back. Um, Let me just say, once again, um, for those out there who are interested in doing a commercial, um, we're learning right now. So, I mean, if you want a commercial, they're free. I'm willing to give it a shot. And let's see what we can do. Um, so um also let me just say, cash listeners, that literally this bottle of Amarula is sitting in front of me, and I am fascinated by it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, elephant on top. It's, it's the elephant on it, and it just I'm 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 reading it and I'm just like, whoa, okay. Like I'm I'm we're gonna have to try it. That's what I'm gonna have to say about this. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next segment. The next segment is cash hidden gems. say um, this is your opportunity to tell us about something in the community that you think is a gem, and maybe they don't. Maybe people don't know everything about it, but you know, what do, what do you got going? Well, um,
1: this is almost like tied to local businesses. Like we just from talking last segment. Yeah, there are some um, new businesses in town that people should check out. Uh, for example, on um, if you go on Jackson Street, north of Jackson Street there, there is all-in-one African market. Mm. It's a grocery store. Yeah, So um, you could find all the food, even different ones that you've never tried, being sold in that uh, establishment. And then if you go further... Uh, the All African market actually is opposite um, Casey's gas station. Casey's on, depending on which direction you're going, Casey's on the other side, and then it's opposite. Then if you go a little bit further, you're going to find uh, the newly opened Sinkorn, Sinkorn Market, Simong Grocery Store. I was there last night. Um, it's so interesting. Uh, you there's one, one section, there's a grocery store, and then the other section, is kind of like a restaurant inside. Oh. So, yeah, you could right there they've got hard food there yeah. oh we gotta go you gotta go there my friend but if you, you are interested in different kinds or different types of rice they have got everything i was so surprised i was standing over there looking at the jasmine rice they've got rose rice they've got maybe 10 different flavors of rice right there you know so you can try that and also there is um the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean store on you, on you go on Jackson's. No, not on Jackson Street. I uh, think you that, go on Murdoch.
0: Yeah, that's on Murdoch. Yeah. yeah,
1: that one has been around for the last maybe two years or so. Uh, it's really good. I go there a lot to support uh, support them, but also I love the fresh bread. They bake it right there, and if you are into spice, you would find all the spices from the Middle East. You know, because those guys I think are from. Uh, they're from Afghanistan or Iraq, if I'm not really wrong about it. So you, if you're in Spice, please check them out. There's good Spice there. And also the Old B's, uh, the Old B's Monk store uh, on, on Jackson Street.
0: Yes. Yeah, is it
1: Main, Main Street, I think. It's Main it's Street.
0: Main Street, Main Street yep. yeah.
1: I think... It's now being run by a different uh, family there.
0: I do believe so because I used to i i knew the i knew B's wife. Uh-huh. I worked with her, and uh, yeah, I did, I think yeah. Don't quote me, but I think they might have sold.
1: Yes, yeah. So people can check out that that one as well, and also there's some other things happening. Like right now in the winter time, I would like to you know those who like to do outside activities in the cold or on the ice. Uh, Doctor Eric Smutnik. Club has a skating ring. I think on the lake, you know. No, a thing. For real? Yeah, I think the last few years he's been doing it by the Y, by the YMCA. I think the city has given him space near. Yeah, there's that little lake, a fish pond by the lake where you have like a train track there. Yeah, that's where I think they've set up the ring for this season. Boucher,
0: so do you be getting out there on that ice? No, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that that wait. I just want to say that is the correct answer. <laughs> I'll tell
1: you what. I'll I'll tell you this. This is very interesting. Remember, when I moved to the United States, I moved into Kansas. Okay, Kansas, for me, coming from the continent, that the temperatures are are like really warm. I did get into Kansas, I think, a few days before Thanksgiving. It was really cold for me. Like, that temperature was just unbearable for me, you know. But that was nothing. Until I came to Ashkash and I realized, oh my God, this is something else. Wisconsin was just like unbearable. And that first winter time, it was so interesting. We drove to the lake and I saw cars actually. I mean, suddenly that lake that I used to see during summer. Right. Because we moved in, into Ashkash during summertime. Right. So the lake was good, people were riding their boats there. But then I was so surprised to actually see cars or trucks driving on the lake. I was, I mean, I was interested, like, you know, my wife, I'm I'm an African guy, I need to drive there. I tried it once, and I've never gone back there, because I've questioned myself, like, what happens, you know, what happens if I go down, can I survive it, so... Kind of like cautious
0: enough not to go there. I'm with you. Look, I ain't gonna mess around, and, and and I'm gonna say that I have driven on the ice exactly one time myself, and uh I'm just gonna go back to the space of I think it's unnatural to an extent. I mean, I under people. I understand people who do ice fishing and stuff, and there's no disrespect, and I, and I respect the game, but um, that game's not for me. Well, <laughs> it is. I, I, I mean, you gotta
1: also understand how like the struggle the struggle for me, uh, for me, in a sense that whatever I see, is a constant learning for being a, being an immigrant in the United States. In terms of fishing or hunting, I grew up knowing, for example, that when you're going to go into the, into the lake or the river, you're going to catch that fish and bring it home and eat it. Mm. So the first shock of my life was in Ashkash. I was by... I was by the river, by, by Fratello, old Fratello's there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, you know, I was so excited. I'm going to go fishing. So I went across across the, uh, the river there with my father-in-law, got myself a fish fishing pole and some bait. And then um, he showed me how to do it because uh, the way we fish home is different here. So he showed me how I should use that fishing pole. And then when he was done, he left me, told me, I'm going home. I can't sit here wait with you. You can do your fishing. You're okay. So I kept on fishing, hoping to catch the fish. But my next, the neighbors that were fishing next to me, they kept on catching fish and then they were throwing it back. They will catch a fish and then throw it back. How That was the most amazing thing for me. Like, What's wrong with these people? They catch the fish and they're throwing it back. And there I was. I wasn't catching anything yet. But I see this guy is catching fish and throwing it back. Catching fish is throwing it back. That was like a shocker. Then finally, I had a chance to catch my own fish. A little, little tiny fish like this much. And I put it in my bucket. And I caught another one and I put it in my bucket. Probably had like three or four of those little fish. And then I, ate, I think that's enough. Enough for a meal. Because I, for me, that's enough for a meal. I don't need to catch more that I don't need. Okay? So I bring it home. And my father-in-law is there. He's like, what's that? I'm like, It's fish. And he's like, no, no, no. It's so tiny. We can't eat this. I'm like, this is fish. We're going to eat it. He's like telling me, like, no, you're supposed to throw that back in there and wait until you catch the biggest fish. I'm like, where I come from, when you catch fish, you go eat it. You don't throw it back. So that's, <laughs> so that's the weird stuff I'm talking about uh, like that. And then talking about the ice fishing, yes, on the, on the lake. I know it's sports recreation now. I've come to understand it. like It's a place of um, conversation. I'm sure people go there and dig a hole on the, on the ice and sit down and have a conversation. But that's not for me, brother. That's not for me. I'll have that conversation home in the warm place, not on the ice. You know, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Facts, just facts. Um, I learned that lesson. I had a friend, yeah. and I can't tell you what country of Africa he was from, but uh, he's somebody I went to UW Oshkosh with, and I went fishing with him. Right, and. We caught some, um, we were catfishing, but yeah. we caught some sheephead. Oh. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking the sheephead, and I'm getting ready to throw the sheephead back. And he goes, what are you doing? What are you doing that? that? <laughs> yeah, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, man, you you, you don't eat sheephead. He was like, no, you eat everything. Yeah, that's He corrected that quick. He was like, nope, <laughs> give me that. You eat everything. I was like, okay. I was like, man, I don't know from what I, and look, here's the thing. I was young then, so I didn't even know. The only reason I threw it back is because everybody else always told me to throw it back. And he said, nope, not today. And And he said, yeah, he said it's food. And you know what he said? I said, what are we going to make with it? He said, fish soup. (laughs) I said, fish soup. (laughs) Fish soup. (laughs) Okay. I was like, well, here you go. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And so let me tell you what he did. We went back to the dorms. Right. Um or what not to the dorms but one of my, one of the houses right off campus mm-hmm. and my man made fish soup and you know what fish soup was good it was good it was amazing he put all these vegetables in it oh, that's and uh, right. like it was fish soup and look i ain't had no fish soup since mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it was fantastic and i will never forget that lesson because he looked at me right. like i but like I, I did the most sacrilegious thing ever. He was like, "What are you doing?" Well, where's that that food? Hey. Yeah, man. He's like, "Not today." Well, I think,
1: I think for me, is I think, sport. They call it sport, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it is sports. Like you go hunt, you throw. It's it's sport. But I don't understand when did it morph to become sport because that used to be like. A livelihood, I'm sure, by the the natives or the inhabitants of this place before before the Europeans. I think they went in you not know, to play around with food. I do believe so. When they went oh, to, yeah. to the lake, yeah. they got whatever they needed and, and, the, home and not needed. more. Exactly, not more, not yeah. abuse. You or know. you
0: shared you shared with your village, or neighbors, exactly. or such. You, right. sh- you shared right. with your community.
1: Yeah, it's like this. If I'm back home right now, the relationship that we we have with our Animal kingdom is very very simple and straightforward. For example, you only go hunt that animal when your community really needs it. You don't just go and shoot or kill those those either an, an impala or a zebra for fun. No, you don't. You know, you only go there only when you need it. Bring it home with an understanding that nothing will go to waste. You know, everything is going to be consumed by your community, you know. And that's the reason why for me to see that as a sport. I do believe Like it's because when I see people fishing or hunting, they're not hungry, actually. They have food. Because I tell you, I'll never go hunting if I have food. If I go back home right now, <laughs> now I can afford it. Why would I want to waste my time go hunting? Oh, my God. This is so... Old. The logic. The logic on this. Let, man. Let me, let, me, let me tell you another thing. Another story that happened to me. Um, when I was in the village, we, we hunted with dogs and bows and arrows and spears. At the village level, that's what I used when I was growing up. Later on, when I grew up in the city... My brother had um, at least shotguns, I don't know, whatever, hunting rifles. So we went hunting. But also it was for food, and we brought it home. Remember, the hunting back home is different. When you go there, you're guaranteed you're going to find what you're going there for. Because animal is plenty. It's plenty animal. If you you are targeting to go bring in three Impalas, you're going to bring them home. That's what hunting is. And you, you only kill whatever you need and bring it home, and you're done. So um, I come over here, and my father-in-law Frank, Papa, I love you. If you, if you are listening, um, I'm telling this story for the first time because I've never told anybody. So, Papa, which is uh, Frank, who is my father-in-law, you know, he's a, he's a hunter, so he has a lot of guns, and also he has a shooting range. They have a, we have a shooting range as a family. So when I'm uh, when I'm in Iowa, we go shooting at the range, but there this winter. I think that was my first year here in the United States or second second year. He said, we're going to go hunting. But the hunting for me was so weird because we had like dress up, like really, you know, really dressed up, like covered, you know, keep yourself warm. And there was nothing we found. It was just like sitting out there in a cold. And I'm like, man, this this is ridiculous. There was no animal coming. You know, we we're there in the wood, there was nothing. And I'm like, I'll never hunt again. I'll never
0: Bruh. <laughs> <hunt again." laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was freezing to death, yeah. Yes. So, and then I questioned, I questioned myself, but like, why are we hunting anyway? The house has two deep freezers. There's steak in there. There's, there's food. So why are we, why are we killing ourselves
0: in the cold, you know? <laughs> oh my God, yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: So I've never gone hunting again with him and he luckily has never asked me again to go hunting with him because obviously I would say no because we can afford it. So I guess that's a sport, that's a recreation people do. They just go do yeah. it for fun. It's not mm-hmm. like they really need that. But also I want to emphasize um, the relationship we have with, with animals because our survival as human beings is always based on killing. You know, our survival, you know, in order to... F- you know, to push our own living, then we have to, to kill something. But when you, when you look at it from our own native Africans or in, uh, Native Americans, there's that, you know, kind of like even before you do it, you make that animal understand why you're doing it. I need to, to take your life to feed me and to feed my family. I'm sorry. You know, you praise the gods for what you are doing. Mm-hmm. You know and that's why it's hard for me like right now Timber, being in this country for this this long, it's hard for me now that I can afford. I don't think I can even kill a cow. right It's hard because I'll ask myself like why am I doing it? you know there's no reason, you know. So there's always this relationship that I think we have uh, as a country or as, as we have passed that now. We are now into spot now where we can hook up a fish. And throw it back. I do believe that fish may not even survive, may die. So why why do we do it? Just for the fun of doing it, you know. That's my thing. Yeah.
0: Pause. That's just powerful. Pause. Okay. Next segment. Um, what's the cash need?
1: The cash needs, uh, with the work that we do, uh, that we've been involved with, uh, the advocate's work. Uh, over the last 15 years I've been in Ashkash here, it has always been pushing for better Ashkash because I love this city. I love being here, and I love this community. It has done so many good things for me and for, for other people. But there's always these uh, powers that we get to... <clears throat> you know, there are powers protecting the you know, the establishment that always put, they place wars in uh, on our faces. So we are constantly pushing those powers. And what I think Ashkash needs, we need professional DEI coordinator like you, for example. I do remember when we started the DEI thing, we were together, though it was virtually. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we do need a DEI person at a uh, city level. We do need a DEI person a professional DI person at the county level. We need also another professional uh, DI person at the uh, area school district, Ashka School area school district. We also need another professional DI person at the university. But what I see and disappointed and I get disappointed over and over and over is these institutions. They are not ready. They like the lip service of saying, uh, yes, we are ready. We are ready to do this. But whenever we, we give them that task with that challenge,
0: they are not up to it. I don't even hear them say they're ready. Not 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 here yeah. in our, and particularly in Ashkash. Right. I don't hear them say they're ready. No. I hear them say it's needed. Yes. There's a difference between uh-huh. need and being prepared for it. Exactly. And because there is an understanding like that, there's this changing thing happening right. and that we need to address the change. That's one thing. But saying that we're prepared for the change that is needed mm-hmm. is a whole nother so another thing. Yeah. Another thing. And that that is, um, we're just, you know, I, I, I've said it multiple times, many times um, Oshkosh just changes slow. It's not yes. that it doesn't ever right. change. It's just change here, yeah. Moves slow, and it's and it's technically hard at times. It is,
1: and um, and that's a problem. Uh, I think uh, with leadership uh, in all these areas that I mentioned before, I have not. You know, I'll const- I'll continue uh, engage with them, but until when I see one of them who's really committed to this work, uh, right now. I don't see much commitment uh whether it's our elected officials at both government that I've talked about or those that we've employed I don't see much because you can see when time for budgeting comes where well, that's the time where money is allocated into this
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: budget yeah. says what the real agenda exactly is. Exactly. And you can say you, something, can s- you can put something on the on the list of things mm-hmm. to do but if there's no budget then for it then it. it's not really meant to move the the needle's not meant it's to not be moved. Move,
1: yeah. And you know the other thing that I don't understand Timber is uh um our nearby cities, our nearby towns. Bandulak.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mhm. You are in Appleton right now. Mm-hmm. Nina, I think I don't know whether it's just a checkbox or not, but I don't really believe like in a checkbox. I want somebody who can, you know, hold people
0: accountable to this DI work, you know. I think um, I'm going to go with, I, I appreciate what everybody surrounding us is doing. I also appreciate what Oshkosh at least acknowledges and, and may be on the path to doing in the future. Um, but what I think, it scares people sometimes is they think the DEI person's going to come in and scold you and punish you and tell you you're wrong and this and that. And that's not, that's
1: not the job. That's
0: not the job. That's not the job at all. Uh, if most people really understood what I do in my role, um, is I am a unifier and I'm really trying to help others. Right. Build their profiles, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like, and do the work they want to do in the community so they feel like they belong in the community. Exactly. That's it. It's It really has nothing to do with the other things. It's actually very much a community um, elevator profile right. role where, because what you don't want to do is create programming right. where when the person leaves, the program falls apart. Fall apart yeah. 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 But if you build the the people in the community, the businesses in the communities, mm-hmm. the nonprofits in the communities, and help them right. um, get connected to other resources or help find them funders or whatever right. those things are in their building, right? That sustains. That's what we need. That is exactly you, what we need. Yeah. <laughs> and I, let me tell you, that is where great. Uh, what I would like to call is great success is happening it is in other regions i don't um, know maybe we just need to continue uh
1: push for it we shouldn't um give up
0: i just think um i think we need someone to go in there and help define what it is because right. i do think there's just great fear that yeah. it's so polarized that's the thing yeah and it's really not it it's just not. isn't it isn't that polarized it is um i just don't think There's people who are really good at it, and there's people who hold different roles inside of it. And some are what I would call enforcers and people who are are, are uh, accountability people. And those are needed also, but that's not the foundation from which you build from.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's the reason why you have uh, the, the disconnect or the mistrust between the community itself and these institutions that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. For example, you may have a mistrust between the parents in the community and the Ashkash Area School District. Right, But if they had a person in between, like you are
0: saying, yes, What is that? And make an understanding. Well, what happens is you're able to translate back and forth. Exactly. And that person's able to go into the, let's say, the school space and truly talk to the people. Hopefully, they have, the school trusts them, and that's why they put them in the role. And they're able to communicate what the people really want. And then they're able to go back and communicate back to the people and say, I know you want this, but this is what's realistic.
1: Right. Well, you've you've been around in this town Longer than I am, and I'm sure you've seen how diverse the whole sk- uh, city of Ashkash or the count has become in the last twenty oh, yeah. years. It, yeah, thirty. I've yes. been here thirty. You've been here thirty years, so you've seen Literally. how diverse will become. Literally, yes. So I'll I'll throw you just like one example in our school system. For example, right now, how many teachers of color
0: do we have? <laughs> uh, I would say. If we have any, and I'm going to assume we might have some, it's not more than one hand. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I,
1: I was talking to one African-American teacher who used, was teaching at Webster Stanley in the whole district that time. And my conversation with her was just like shocking that since we are diverse now, there are so many black and brown kids in our school system. At Webster Stanley at that time, I don't know how many kids of color were in that school. A lot, maybe twenty, thirty. She was the only person, you know. Her shoulders were so, you know, like are you overloaded. Sure that, wait, are
0: you sure that wasn't the principal at that time? Maybe she was the principal.
1: I think because, she left.
0: Yeah, know. she did leave. Yes, because yeah. my right. daughter, my daughter was uh, went to Webster Stanley, and I think she left right either during. Her first year or prior to right. her starting.
1: Just overwhelming. Not only are you a teacher to teach these kids, but again, you are the supposed to be their role model. You are the one supposed to know they're supposed to cry on you with your issues. So But
0: but here's the sad thing about that. Where do they go to cry? Because they, they they don't have a they don't have uh necessarily safe spaces or a team of individuals to process these things with. Right. You need you, it's not a one-man team. No, it's not. It's not well, a one-man sport.
1: Yeah, that's the reason why I think us in the advocacy groups, we are going to push the system to do massive hires. You know, like, don't hire one black person. Don't hire one Latino. You know, hire five, ten, you know, at a
0: goal. So at, at least hire high. two. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying for real they're, yeah. they're, no that's actually a thing and the university yeah. is uh right. taking on this uh if i'm correct don't quote me uh is a policy where if they find talent and right. they find multiple talent mm-hmm. they hire together right and just bring them in, yeah, and, bring and, in. And, and, and you know and i yeah. think that's super important it, like i'm not going to say we, you need a whole you can't transform the system no. that quickly no. but what you do want to do is at least when you find great talent you do want to retain them and right. I have a saying in the work that I do and I tell this to other organizations all the time. There is a huge difference between being the only and being lonely. Exactly. Often we can survive being the only as long as the actual organization makes us feel like we're part of it and that right. we're in we're valued and right. and there's respect right. and dignity. But lonely when everybody is basically trying to uh, not necessarily avoid you, but feels like your work doesn't apply to them. So therefore they don't really right. work with you or ask you how you're doing and stuff. Yeah. No one survives lonely. No, you can't. And that is where, that is where the, the turnover happens. Exactly.
1: You'll find a, a staff member comes in
0: within a year. They're,
1: they're out. Yep. And I'm so sorry. Uh, like in case of the university is like a perfect example. Uh, in the last few years, I've seen good, educated, smart people of color leave campus to go to other opportunities, and I've always asked myself this question, or you know, when I have conversation, like, do these people don't have time to check on themselves? Like, what are we doing wrong for that particular person to have left, and the other particular person to have left? They should like do an internal
0: check sometime. I got an opinion on that, and I'm just gonna say it. Um, what I think happens is they don't fight for them. Well, and when I mean that, and yeah. what I'm trying to say is, is like um, there's a, there's an there has to be a retention effort made right. to keep the talent.
1: Well, that is if they value in value what you're doing.
0: I think they value, but it, it's I can't explain this. Yeah. but they don't fight to keep that talent that's the thing when that talent decides there's a because uh, you know there's going to be people that come there's going to be suitors professional suitors that come along and ask and this that and another particularly in this in this time right now because it is the thing companies realize there is value in diversifying their their leadership their thought processes their processes and it takes diverse individuals to create this diverse Uh, processes, thought processes, profitability mm-hmm. uh, uh, ways uh, forward, and so there's going to be suitors, but most would actually actually like to stay. But if you put no yeah. effort right to retain, there's no retention effort there, and you throw your hands in the air and say,
1: yeah, right. okay. Oh, but also, you have to also look at it this way. A perfect example is yourself in a role that you have and within the next 2 or 3 years you are in a you are doing your job let's say you feel that lonely, the loneliness at the place of work right that tells me like hey, they don't care about about you you are like a one man show you know
0: i i, I am a one man show but what i will say is this the the they have gone above and beyond to make sure that i don't feel lonely they Definitely. have gone out of their that's way that's what we need and I'm I will be the first to say I'm good like I'm nah. super good and yeah, I can't even enough. I can't even stress that enough that the efforts that have been for, put forward right. I get I get so much love internally and externally by the greater community of Appleton right. it is unreal I can't stress that enough um, you have no idea Which like my, my cup so my I'm cup thinking, stays full
1: I'm thinking so you're valuable the what you bring to the table is recognized. It's I, I, really recognized in that setup. But in certain areas, like at the university, UW, Ashkash, I think my own observation, looking at these brothers and sisters that I've left in the last three years, I, my observation is they don't value what these people bring to the table. Why am I saying so is because these are the people that I've fought with for all these years for changes in the system, in the city. Not only at the university, but even at the city. I've seen how powerful these individuals were. And to me, I feel like maybe these individuals were like a threat to the powers.
0: I I don't know if I would agree with that. What I will say is this. In some cases, those individuals were ready for change. Because, you know, this is a hard... Right. When there's the opportunity to go other places that might you know, the community might look a little more like you or stuff like that. Sometimes you want to take those. So there's some of that that happens. Um, And the other thing, um, because I will give the university credit that the university has put a lot of people in leadership positions and they're continuing to change and grow. Um, But once again, I go back to when when it comes time to to retain, they don't necessarily do the best job in going back and saying, we want you to stay. Yeah. Like, they'll just let them go. They don't fight for you. You don't fight for you. And look, yeah. sometimes all it takes literally is right. to say, we want you to stay. Yeah. Yes. Maybe it's not about the money. No. Maybe it's about, I just want you to say, hey, everybody wants to feel valued. Right. And sometimes, you know how that goes, you know, like when you're doing a really, really good job and everything's going right, you fall off the radar because that's the thing yeah cuz you're doing a really doing good right job and right. it's right. running right sing, yeah. right people know who's doing it wrong right that's what happens <laughs> 9 out of 10 that's
1: right we are only noticed when you're doing things wrong know,
0: when the things are going wrong <laughs> somebody's quick to tell you it's going wrong so that just happens like, for me at work man i think
1: throughout the year i'm doing things right no one talks to me That the very moment I screw up, oh, my God, emails and phone calls. Wait, wait, four people want to talk to you. (laughs) Exactly. Not one. (laughs) Not Mm -hmm. one. Everybody wants to know what I did and why I did it that way. Mm -hmm. But how about other months in the year when I've been doing right? Shh, everybody has been quiet. Right. That's a tragedy, right?
0: Yeah, it's not right. (laughs) It's not right. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. We're going to move to the next segment. Next segment is... And if y'all can hear the crumpling in the back, let me just call this out right now. Bosco, the podcast dog, has decided to come in here with a crumple toy. Mm -hmm. He is wearing a a flannel coat. So uh, apparently he's just come from outside and he's decided that he's going to come and do Bosco the podcast disruption on the cast, on the kosh. So (laughs) that is him. Mm -hmm. Um, The naughty slash heroes corner. That is our next segment. This is... this is your opportunity to celebrate or nominate someone to the naughty corner, the hero's corner. Uh, it doesn't have to be a person, it could be a thing, it could be an organization, it be whatever you want it to be. So, what do you got? Am I allowed
1: to to nominate a f- few names or, or no?
0: Mouche, it's your episode. It's my show. It's I your can do whatever episode. I want. That's right. Yeah. That is this how is this is works. But this is awesome. <laughs>
1: All right, so but my wife Angela told me, like, no one should be in the naughty corner. So I'm going to focus a lot on the heroes of my time here, Uh, my time here in Ashkash and also my time elsewhere. I think I'll start first. One of my best heroes is my wife, Angela Grace Oboro. She has been um, uh, my partner when I'm high and when I'm, you know, when I'm high up and when I'm down there. She's always been there for me. Um, she's also, you know, she's an advocate like me. So we are always angry together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She goes hard. Oh yeah. We go hard. Like when we are in our house, some things are not going right in Ashkash. We are busy kicking the drawers together. You know, when it's something that affects our community, we cry together and try to figure out a solution. To that thing so she's one of my she's my number one hero in in, in that uh, when it comes uh, my personal life and also to the work that we do um, the other hero that I always um, appreciate and never forget is dr Alicia Jones Johnson she yes. was a friend of the show uh, yeah she's also one of those fierce and relentless advocates that I I can tell you, like the world,
0: Bruh, the you ain't world, never lied. Yeah,
1: the world needs people like Alicia Johnson. Wherever you are, Alicia, I love you so much, and uh, keep doing what you do. Um Aaron Shear, uh, a friend of the show as well, uh, he's one of my heroes. I, I mean, I can put him anywhere. He's an advocate, a fierce advocate when it comes to these issues. Huge shout out to Aaron. Yeah, huge shout out. Then. My mother, or my mother-in-law, um, my mother, Cindy Gray, and uh, Frank, I could never ask for, for any other better parent. These two individuals have been the best parent I've ever found. Uh, Cindy Gray, that's mother to my wife, Angela. I, she's a woman who never had interest in traveling international, I'm told. Always scared to travel international. The story that I heard is uh, when Angela was traveling for the first time to Africa, to Tanzania, back in 1997, she was so worried that her daughter might be bitten by snakes, so she had to buy these long boots, you know, like, oh, where are you going to Africa there? Are all those snakes going to bite you. So this is a woman I came to be found to be my mother, and very interesting woman. I think being with her every day changed her opinion about what she never knew, and she's open to learning, learning new things, um, Why do I say she's my hero? Is the first time I convinced her to come with me or follow me to the continent, she did make that travel.
0: Mm.
1: And that travel, I've never shared this story with her, but what I observed first time was I picked up on the airport, we were in the city, we stayed in the city for two, three days. But during the time we stayed in the city for two, three days, I needed to show her something about uh, the slums the slums of the city. Because I was in the city, uh, I came to the city when I was 15, 16. So I used to go to the west part of the city. Uh, that's where I played soccer. And, you know, So I I, really needed to take this woman to that part of the, the, the city so she can see for herself. And so we, we went over there to see a friend of mine. And into that part of the town, the slum, you had toilets, um, sewer, sewer pipes, Just like they're bursting like sprinklers, right? You know, poop everywhere, you know. And she is sitting down in the back of the vehicle with me, and we are driving through to through this narrow, uh, you know, street to go see where a friend of mine. And I saw my mother-in-law; she was basically observing kids playing in in that dirty water, and I just kept them quiet and observing her, and I saw tears. She was tearing. She was crying. You know, and then we visited my friend and then we we're done. She she couldn't, the tears were just, she was like really touched what she saw in, in those slums. Because I, I don't think it's, there's no such a day you could see that in Ashkash here or in, in the U.S. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe it happened somewhere. But what makes her be my hero is after that visit, we went to the village, stayed a couple of, maybe one week in the village. We did a lot of good things and good fun stuff right. with her safaris, we did some wild safari tour. She tested, I'm sure, Amarula. Yeah, she did take um, test Amarula when we were in a boat cruise on the Zambezi River, mm-hmm. and she was so happy. She was seeing things when she took it because this thing is so powerful, you know. But anyway, uh, the, tr- the, tr- the truth is when, we ca- when she came back to the U.S., and I came back to the U.S., and um, she told me la- that um, herself and her husband they have a commitment with their church, Mm -hmm. their church in Sioux City, Iowa. And their commitment, I think, started when they were younger. And they give money to the church Mm -hmm. every month. They've been doing this for the last 50 years, who knows, to the church. And then from that moment, she said, after what I saw during that visit, I think I'm going to dedicate, I'm going to talk to my parish priest And tell my priest that I'm going to dedicate that money to what I saw back on the continent of Africa through your organization, SEPO Zambia. So she's been like relentlessly, they've never missed any single donation of Mm. their money every month. I think it's 200 bucks Mm. that they put in towards our effort and what we do uh, back home. Wow. That money that she has done, she's been. That's from 2010 up to now. The money keeps on coming every month. And that money has helped our organization, Sepo Zambia, to do a lot of good work for the people in that community, either to educate kids, pay for their, I mean, buy their school uh, supplies, even buy shoes, even uh, food. You know, it's like amazing. She's, she's a hero to me. She's a hero not only to me, but a hero to that community over there. So, Wherever she's Cindy Gray, Mother, I love you.
0: Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. And we have more. Yeah, there are other
1: heroes we have uh, that I have on my, in my, who are always in my corner, and... Um, some of them, like I've mentioned, Aaron Shearer is relentless in the efforts of uh, what we do with Rio Ashkash. So Rio Ashkash basically is a group of, of advocates who, who decided we're gonna, you know, do this work. Uh, Aaron Shearer is really good at that. Lakisha, Lakisha Hayes, I think, a friend yes, of the show too. Friend of the show. Yes, um, I love her today. She's relentlessly in this work. She's really These two individuals that are committed to this work, the DEI work. Another person that I would always uh, remember to mention her name is Molly, Molly Smiltnick. She was, um, I think, the PT, PTO president for MLN Cook. She has. We have always found ourselves in the same place to advocate, sometimes not even coordinating. For example, the there was a day I was going to the Ashka area school district to talk and to protest against the... The ID, you know, they basically the district decided to buy these ID kind of machines that before you get into any building, you need to push in your driver's license. Then it reads, it, it captures all your information. And then that's when they let you go. So I was going over there to talk about uh, that kind of government, uh, government um, kind of like intrusion it does not sit well with certain members of the community that does not trust the government. And moreover, I had questions like, when you are grabbing that information from me, who else is out there to see my information? Because you're getting it from DMV, you know. So I had all these questions. And Molly's always found in these spaces as well to advocate. So I was like, my God, this woman's always in the right corner. So she, Molly Smutnik is always uh, my he, she's my hero. The husband, Dr. Eric Smutnik ooh, the same. Finally, another person that I've always... Uh, when you talked about um, uh, recovery issues, is uh, Jen Skolaski.
0: I think she's a friend of the show, too. Yes, she is. Uh, I, I, my, I refer to her as Skosassy. Skosassy! <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Yeah, she is fabulous.
1: Yes, another fierce advocate. Uh, Ashkash needs people like
0: those people I've mentioned.
1: And we have plenty of them.
0: Yes, yes. that's a, you know, and your list should speak to this community Yes, that there's a lot of people out here. Um, There's a lot of people who aren't from the marginalized communities. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people who but see and are advocating and know that there is good to be done that benefits us all, every child, every community member, when we can all create these spaces and pathways and mm-hmm. cre- and and create ways to equity exactly um we all win yep and there's a lot of, a lot of um, wonderful advocates and i've been lucky oh, yes. enough to have oh, yes. some of the best here on the cash. i'm not <laughs> gonna lie right. so okay well we're about at that time that all important time, and let me just go ahead and get us ready here. Every time, every time it makes me happy. Um, <laughs> it is time for the topic of the week, and Mouché, what yeah. is our topic of the week?
1: Yeah, our topic of the week today. I wanted to speak about Ubuntu. Uh, to our listener there who may not know what Ubuntu means, uh, Ubuntu is um, is a Bantu or Southern African word that simply says, I am who I am today because of us. Or you are who you are because of us or we. So um, I'm sure our listeners have been listening a lot. We're talking about a lot of community, community stuff on mm-hmm. this segment, right? So... Ubuntu is community. So where I come from, we believe that your successes are not yours alone. All those successes are there because of others. Every time I have a chance to explain this in simpler ways, because maybe in English it may be difficult to find the right kind of word to, to explain it or in another language, but basically... When I have a chance to be on campus with students, I tell them, like, um, uh, wherever I traveled in America or anywhere, I found one thing that Americans believe in individualism. Like, I've done this, I'm a hard worker, I've achieved this, I've had these good grades, you know, I'm like the smartest guy on, on the planet. But I always tell them, remind my, my audiences, like, under Ubuntu is your successes. Are because of others, and I try to remind them: is is your parents? It's your. If you go to church, it could be your pastor at church. It could be the reverend at church. It could be the guiding counselors at at school. You know, there are so many people involved in your life to get you to being a successful person. So that's a guiding principle for me as a child growing up in uh, in the village. I saw community come together in in these um in certain times to do things together. Uh, yeah, there will be there always be those few individuals who always feel like their success are by themselves. They're always there, but we always not challenge them, but just to remind them like we are who we are because of others. And uh coming to that work, uh it is a guiding principle for me with my organization SEPO. SEPO Zambia is because it's, it's because of this work that I do makes me realize that I find Ubuntu in it. Now, uh, I want to give you several examples where it was so difficult for me when I moved when I migrated to the United States. The first time I migrated to the United States in Kansas, when I arrived in Lawrence, Kansas, I, I was right away, maybe the second day realized I couldn't see Ubuntu in the people in the white people or just in the community that where I was. Uh, it was in an apartment. I was so surprised that my opposite door door neighbor could not even say hello to me, to a stranger, which was like, so I was so like, wait a minute. These people cannot even greet the person they don't know. And I thought like maybe it was just like one individual. But the more I walked around in that neighborhood, nobody really wanted to talk to me. So I started feeling that loneliness, like, oh, my God, this is lonely for me. No one is talking to me. And then I started reminding myself what I was taught by the U.S. embassy in the U.S., coming to the U.S. The U.S. embassy uh, uh, gives you kind of like, you know, a five, ten minutes tutorial on how the American culture is, individualism, you know, that thing. So I kind of realized, like, whoa, nobody has time for me, so I'm going to be an individual here. So I tell you, the first one month was so difficult until I found uh, Ubuntu in the African Students Association at the University of uh, Kansas. Uh, there were a few individuals uh, like Enrique uh, Yusufu and Mohajiri, may he so rest in peace. These are the Africans that I started having this conversation with them because they were there before me. started telling me, like, no, 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 the cultures are different. But So they brought me in. I found myself in, with them and Ubuntu was with them. Two years later, when I moved to Ashkash, it was so hard. We got to Ashkash here. uh, It was uh, very difficult, almost similar. It was rough in the beginning to to get down here because I'll give an example, like where I come from, where I grew up under that Ubuntu umbrella is like you see a new person moving into a house, the next door house, You just quickly go there and say, hey, who are we? You know, you greet them and start helping them unload their stuff, get to know them, you know, like hardcore. Let's say you moved in last night and you're a smoker. You smoke. You'd walk on the street. On the corner, you find boys or girls whatever. They're smoking on the corner. They'll give you a cigarette. Or you share that cigarette with three or five other people while having a conversation, knowing who you are. You know, that's what I know. So when I didn't see that in Kansas and I didn't see in here, and I knew like I'm gonna be really in trouble, and I think I must get out of this place as soon as I can, and slowly, I was so lucky I met Doctor Doctor Kisubi, mm. the late Doctor Kisubi. Rest, a, in yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. As an old man, he was his. Um, he sat me down, so having this conversation with him. like, hey, you have to understand the cultures are different, and I met Doctor. Mamadou mm-hmm. uh, is still a professor at university. You know, slowly I said, realizing, oh, okay. Conversations going aside, finding that Ubuntu and these people. And slowly I realized, like, the more I built this community, the more I grow in this community, I'm building all these, uh, you know, these channels of communication. Then I realized, oh, my God, then Americans have just been lying to themselves. Ubuntu is it's a, shared bit. it's a shared thing. We all have it for common good. The whole conversation I've had with you mentioning all these people, Jane Skolarski, Erin Shearer, Molly Smiltneck, there's one thing that we share, Ubuntu. We're always working towards the better of our community. And that's what uh, always reminds me, like when I'm here, I just feel like we are, I'm home. There's these similarities, you know. Another thing that I saw in Ubuntu, again, that I'll share with you, uh, that even in little kids, actually the little kids are able to admit it that they have Ubuntu in them before they are corrupted by the adults by telling them, you have to work hard, this is your efforts. Here's how I prove that Ubuntu is there in our little kids. One of the days I went to Line Cook, I was giving some lecture conversations in different classrooms, and I was talking to these children about my upbringing in a village uh, where we had only two classrooms at a school that where I started grade one and how we didn't have a chair to sit on. We sat on the, de- on the floor and we never had books. We were writing on the ground using your fingers. I was having conversation with these little elementary kids, just having nice conversation with these little kids. And what I was surprised that i always remember is kids are so curious, they're raising their hands, asking me questions, you know, open questions, like why were you not having the desk, like the way we are? Why were you not having like a flat screen in a class like this? So I was explaining to them, like, I lived during the time when those things were not there, but there was that. During that time, yes, there's poverty, but I never understood that I was poverty. But then they asked me, like, is, it, is your school still the same? And I I said, yes, the school is still the same, even as of today in 2018. It's still the same way it was in 1982 when I was going to that place. Those little kids inspired me, and they said, yeah, we can build them a school. The little kids of Ashkart said, we can build them a school. And Timba, I'm going to show you the classroom that those kids and the whole entire community will end up building.
0: Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Legit.
1: Yeah, so they started a, a penny penny called the penny wars, I don't know
0: how you call them. Yeah, that's a bit there's a penny there's penny wars. Right. All right. So, so these little kids
1: they're bringing quarters <laughs> to school every every week so that we could um they could raise enough of that money. Actually so the kids the PT Molly Smutnik, the PTO, Dr. Eric Smutnik, they said we've been doing, they were asking me these questions like, uh, because I was telling them like, me going to school, it was all about walking. Maybe you're walking three miles one way. And you get into that school, you only learn for like an hour, then you're walking three miles back home, whatever it is. Okay? So Dr. Eric Smutnik, Smutnik, in order to fundraise with the kids in Ashkash, that's why he's also a hero, he has this thing called, walk with the doc. So I think maybe every Wednesday in a week, he would actually walk to school, walk the kids in the neighborhood to school. Mm. As they are walking, he's giving these educational um, lectures. But each kid that walked with Dr. Eric to school that that week, if it's five, he's going to donate $5 per kid. Mm. And that money will be put in the same coins, coin jar at school. And then we will take that money and send it to the village, so that the, the elders and the parents will buy pockets of cement or bags of cement, and then mould bricks, and we ended up having, ended up having this product there.
0: That is amazing. I'm gonna make sure that I scan this picture and, yeah, it I'll, and show I'll, this. I'll
1: leave this with you, and also you could also see it on our uh, on our website. Okay. If you go, yeah, if you I'll, go to Serpo we'll Zambia put, website, we'll put a link face, on there and our Facebook page. A lot of community work. And uh, I under that Ubuntu, I can tell you that um, people have no idea how communities work. Communities communicate. Ashkash communicating with Western part of Zambia in such a big way. Not only were we able to build this under Sepo uh, with um, with little kids at and Cook, we've gone further doing things with the... Other people in the community, like for example, the the downtown uh, Rotary Club, right? Yeah, they gave us money to buy the actual desks for this place, so you can see the, how community works. <laughs> yes, you know, so the desks for the teachers and for the kids were provided by um, the downtown Rotary Club, and then we did other things like, um, uh, you know, I think you know Ashkash United, the soccer club, they've been. So nice that we share. They give us jersey if they buy so many for the season, and they have extras. They give it to Sepo, and Sepo Zambia would take them donate home so that students there they're able to use it. So there is this community thing that actually is just a distance, but yeah, we are able to do things. So that's what Ubuntu means. Uh, in short, we
0: are who we are, not
1: by ourselves, but by our others. You know.
0: Well, I got a question. Yeah. So, how does more people in this community get involved? Because you know, I just, people are going to be listening, and they're going to say, "I'm I want in." You yes. know, I want I want to help too. I want to um I want I want Ubuntu. Uh huh. So under that Ubuntu thing, actually.
1: We, everybody is welcome. I want them, to, I want whoever is interested in joining us, uh, uh, joining SEPO, SEPO Zambia, with what we do with Ubuntu. Is right now because we know there's so many things going on in our city uh, that we know they're not going right, but we also know like getting things right is incremental, slowly, you know. so we've been looking around at what, what is really burning out there. And one of the things that we noticed as we do the advocacy work, we've noticed our black and brown kids doing the, you know, the worst in every direction that you look at. So they are the the ones that are getting the lower grade, grades, okay? And then we are looking at it. They are the ones getting the higher punishment rates in school, uh, the detentions or suspensions, you know, because numbers don't lie, you know? You know, numbers show themselves the last three years, five years is our students uh, you know, they're doing the worst in this in the thing. So so we have had first meeting under real Ashcash. And under real Ashcash, we this meeting we had it at a food call downtown here, uh, where we had parents or people were interested coming in to have the conversation and right. and help figure out how we can help the district.
0: Is real Ashcash becoming a profit are they becoming their own entity
1: right now we are still running it under Sepo Zambia because Sepo Zambia is a non nonprofit okay registered fully with the federal and the state right but maybe eventually we may move toward that direction but for now we are still we're still running it under sePO okay so but also we have to understand that we have had all these backyard conversations in the last few years we mm-hmm. have brought in parents of black and brown kids in our backyards. Mm-hmm. And have conversation to understand what goes on in their families with their children at school, you know. So, you know, it's all these collective efforts where parents come in, talk about their experiences, and also we find out like, okay, what can we do to engage the the government or the district? It's how we get to that position. So we had uh, these several backyard uh, meetings before before the pandemic, and I can tell you, we even had. Um, uh, I think three election cycles when we had uh, school district elections where we had candidates like you know those that have owned it right now and those that have lost that like, come in and we ask them questions. What can you do looking at these numbers when we get you elected? You know we we show them that's not like a secret. So we had those televised or through Zoom, but last month we had our first meeting at the food court where well, we invited parents to come in and share. Right. We, we, we're going to have another one uh, on the 19th of February, again, at the food call. I think it's between 3 to 5 in the community room uh, at the food call. So anybody who is interested in, in advocacy, anyone who loves this city, that's like we love it.
0: February 19th at the food, food co-op.
1: At the food call, come in 3 to 5. Come in, let's strategize a game plan that is going to help our leaders at the district you know, to show our leaders the direction that we think they can, they can help our children. You know, because again, we say under Ubuntu again is we are there for our children to succeed. You know, so listeners, please do come February nineteenth.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Any last words? Last words on, on this topic.
1: On this top on this topic. Um. <laughs> On this topic, I think I also like to, to thank those uh, parents on, of black and brown students um, that have been like really, you know, involved in these efforts for the last few years. Uh, I could mention some of them names, uh, but um, it's really good because them coming up, coming out, has really helped us, uh, you know, see the direction. Because one of the things that you have to understand with the immigrant population with black and brown people here, there's already a stereotype like we are others.
0: <sighs> oh, facts.
1: Yeah, We are others. You know, uh, sometimes I do wonder like even you, Mr. Smith, you've been around here for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. But there are certain times that you are looked at as other. as the Oh, other. no.
0: I, absolutely. Right. Like there's never a time right. that is, I'm, I am not blind or ignorant. I'm I've been immersed in it for so long. It's my normal. Yes, yeah, so a normal thing. So. so if it, does yeah. that make sense, oh, yeah. like for others who have who are coming to the region and they still feel it and it feels a certain way, mm-hmm. like I, I get it, yeah. but I've been here so, so long right. that I just operate in this space. Right. It's my normal. Well, that's a, and, and it's not other people's normal. Right.
1: You know, that's one of the, the the saddest part about the racism that goes on every day. Uh, for a person like me, I I live it and I see it every day, and it was so interesting that the from my own experiences, really, I lived in a in a predominantly black place. Okay, when I was in Zambia, yeah, we had white people, but the majority was people look like me. In South Africa, I had a little bit of racism. I saw it a little bit. But a full-blown scale, my experience has been here uh, in Ashkash, you know. And I do struggle with that in a way, like how can I teach? I do not have an experience like you, Mr. Smith, in terms of you explaining it to your kids and what's going on. For me, it's, it's harder because... I grew up in a place where I never had that experience. So I don't have a childhood experience. Right. You that frame of reference is I not the reference. same. It's not the same. So when my black boys are going in trouble every day at school, I look at it like this qualifies to be you to be in trouble, but this does not qualify you to be in trouble. This qualifies to be a kid's thing you should do these things as a kid it should be misbehavior There's things that are within the parameters of a child that is developing it's called learning right. it's
0: learning curve exactly. you're to do a few things as a kid because you're a kid
1: right yes but what i also know is my kids the black kids yeah they are not given a room to be kids they are, you know they're judged at the highest standards you know it's, it's like uh, <laughs> They are looked at as if they're adults. You know, whatever they do is magnified. Like, oh, your son has done that. But I'm like, but it's a kid. That's what the kid's supposed to do, you know. And it's mind-boggling, but now how do I explain this to my my black sons? It's so hard because I don't have that reference that I'm talking about. But a a father like you have that uh, reference, you know. So I struggle with that, but also... The other part that is so complicated with the line of work that we do at Sepo Zambia, or also at um, Rio Ashkash, is when it comes to the newly um, new immigrants. Sometimes I feel like crying when I'm trying to work with them. Uh, how they get treated with the system? The system sometimes even pushes them to the corner, like they are like have no idea on how how to proceed. Give you a simple example right now. I'm working with one of the ladies, one woman in Ashkash. The system says they overpaid her too much food stamp and they want her to pay back the system almost like $23,000 or $24,000. And the woman cannot have a, cannot, can only really speak English. And I am there now to be the go between her and find the right lawyers who can represent her and to get her, you know, to get her off this $23,000. Because I see she's a, she's a single woman. In short, she has, like, maybe four or five kids. So she makes, she takes, she makes, like, maybe $12 an hour. So she gets food stamp. So she was in trouble, and I'm rare. I know she's not cheating the system. But the letters that I see coming from the system is, like, they're putting her in a in a bucket, like, she's cheating the system.
0: And right. I'm looking at it like, this is a woman who can cheat the system? She can't, wait, she's not, she can't understand the system. She can't even understand the
1: system. She can't even speak English. And... Oh my God. So I'm really I've been working with this woman for the last um, maybe two months with the community. A community of advocates, uh, right. you know, the Lakisha I am asking questions to the professionals that like the Lakisha has, hey, how do I go about this? Right. Lakisha, hey, you're a judge. Or oh, Michael Ross, you know, you are also a lawyer. How do how do I help this community? You know, so they are, they guide me to where I need to
0: to go. And guess what? I I got the results. That, what you were talking about, is DEI work. DEI work, right there. That is, and that's not scary.
1: It's not scary.
0: And no one said anybody was wrong or racist. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. All it was was helping people navigate.
1: Right. That's what we do. So, and there's a lot of work to do, but um, we just have to continue doing it. So, February 19th, 3 to 5... Yeah, it's a community uh, conversation. People can come in. The reason why we do this conversation a lot is we do know people of color. They, The institutions have never been welcome. They are not welcoming in a sense like how many people of color are able to freely walk into City Hall? How many people of color are freely able to walk into the Chancellor's Office at UW-Ashkash? How many people of color are easily free to walk into that institution of of? Ashkash Area School District or the county. No, because those are intimidating places. Just intimidating. you like, you are right there, you know. So we bring a space to them where we can have them, where they can come in and talk. Elected officials, have, they have always come to this conference. Some of those interested elected
0: officials who are truly committed to this work, they come. I like to believe, uh, there's a large number of them. And it's just sometimes you just need to bridge in between. Right. right? And that's
1: why we the, need the DEI.
0: Right. So there's, there's, all there is is there's this, like, communicating the in-between, like mm-hmm. you that person's familiar with the right. elected officials so right. they can go to them and say, hey, yes. I want you to see this or I'm going to bring this person to you right. and I'm going to help facilitate this conversation. Right. And that's all you need. Sometimes you just need somebody to to, mm-hmm. to help the navigation right. of these things because things get lost in translation. That is true. That is true. And communication is too important. Um, I can't stress that enough. Yeah. You know what? Woo. <clears throat> powerful. Oh, yeah. Just powerful. Mm. All right. <laughs> I'm going to start winding us up then Thank you Thank you, thank you um, Thank you, Kosh listeners For giving us your mind And spending this time with us um, I hope you're learning as much as I'm learning I, well, For every person that comes And sits in these seats And we have these conversations I learn so much Just learn so much about people And about community And about caring And making difference And having impact So I appreciate you If you're spending time with us You're one of those people So thank you for spending that time with us Uh, Once again If you've got anything you want to share with us Anything you want to You know, if you want to be on the show, if you want to tell us how we're doing, you know, I love the feedback. Please reach out to us at askthekash at gmail.com. Once again, that is askthekash at gmail.com. We love, love, love feedback. Um, Also, please don't hesitate. Reach out to us. We have a voicemail line 920-385-9298. Once again, 920-385-9298. If you want to leave a voicemail, we'll play it. Whatever it is, birthday wishes, celebration of whatever, we are all about it. We are community forward and focused. Um, and the last thing that I want to ask the Koch listeners to do for me do me several favors. Share these episodes. Our community needs to hear these voices. I can't stress that enough. Um, share these episodes. Please go out there and give us a ranking or give us some feedback uh online officially um you know through comments and 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 whatnot those make a huge difference um in helping the profile of the show of the kosh um so those are my minor asks for right now and now we will truly roll into what is my favorite time of the show It is shout-out time. All right, Moushe. Oh, shout-out time.
1: Like you said in the beginning, this is my show, so I can make a shout-out to so many people. You shout-out.
0: Hey, look, we got time. Wait, because we don't put a time on these episodes. Look, (laughs) they go for as long as they go, so let's go.
1: Right. I would like to say a shout-out first to my community back home um, on on Baroteland. That's Zambia. Uh, thank you for um, for raising me to be a, a child that sees uh, responsibility and takes responsibility seriously in both my communities here where I am right now in Ashkash and also right there back home. So a shout out to everybody out there. I cannot mention all the names, but my sister, my mother, Grace, um, you've always been... There since I was a little boy, you took me to school and, you know, made me who I am today. And the whole community for being with, with me there, for standing for me and for teaching me to do the right things. Yeah, thank you so much. And then to my community here in Ashkash, I may not able to mention everybody's name, uh, but uh, thank you for all those that have worked with me and, that, and those that continue to work with me in this, uh, in this job. Shout out to Ange Grace Suburwa for being a great wife and uh, a supporter, and um, you know, like I said, we get angry together in the kitchen when we talk about these issues. Of course, my neighbor Aaron Shear. How can I forget him? And um, and uh, he's not only a neighbor and a friend, but Aaron Shear has this um, this group that he has put together of people, an open group of people, once a month. Uh, where we meet and socialize and, you know, discuss how we can make this place a better place, Ashkash, you know, because we love, we all understand that this is the place that we love and we want it to be better. So a shout out to the group, everybody on the group. Um, Of course, my other family back in Sioux City, Iowa, Cindy Gray, Frank, you've been the the best parent, like I said before. And then... um, If I've forgotten you, just know that I love you. Alicia Johnson, I always appreciate your wisdom in so many things that you've done for the city of Ashkash. We miss you. And um yeah, come back. And um I think that's it, really.
0: Okay. I like it. You came with the shout outs. (laughs) Yeah. I love this, my friend. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to roll through mine real quick. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to the 395 Ordnance Company because they're deploying today. Um, I get the opportunity now to go um, when, when our local reserve and uh, National Guard units are deploying. I get, um, if they're in our regions, uh, sometimes we get invited and I get invited. And let me just say, um, love, Godspeed, be safe, come home just that simple. Um, and if you don't know, you need to know, um, shout out to every individual who has anything to do with a black history month, anything this month. (laughs) <laughs> there is there is an abundance of programming around here so don't act like you don't know because if you don't know you ain't looking hard enough because there is a lot of different entities putting on black history month stuff in the region and when i say the region i am talking about from find du like through green bay there's a lot happening and i am proud of this region for embracing this Um, and doing a really good job. I want to send a very special shout out to the two black history month events that I know that went on at Appleton East and Appleton West, both fabulous, both amazing. Um, and to those people who are those, um, workers, uh, staff members working with that youth and helping them and guiding them to be leaders. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, I want to send a shout-out to the Badges Badges and Boots basketball game. I got to go attend a basketball game between the Appleton uh, Police Department and Nina's Fire Department. And let me just say this. Um, everybody took 15 minutes to get warmed up, but once they was warmed up, it became a real game. So thank you for our first responders um, for being out there and making it fun and just um, kudos. We need you. Continue to do great work. And um, some of y'all actually got a little game. I can't play at all, so don't think that's a challenge because I, I won't get out there. I'm too old now. I'm trying to keep all knees, hips, and shoulders in place at this <laughs> point in my life, just being real. And I would like to send a really big shout-out to the new Dean of Students at UW-Oshkosh. Welcome to the kosh. Um, I know great things are ahead. Please don't hesitate to reach out if we can be helpful. All right. Wow. Now...
1: I forgot one shout-out. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, one let's just do came it. to my mind right now is um, a shout-out to the Racial Equity and Advocates and Leadership in Ashkash. That's the real Ashkash. They oh, yeah. The group, I'm giving a shout-out to them all. That's a community of advocates and leaders pushing for substantive changes in Ashkash to increase racial equity. Uh, with our initial focus right now is on our students in, uh, in the schools in our schools. So I'm giving a shout out to you guys uh, on the group. Please continue what we do and uh,
0: do not be tired. (laughs) Facts. (laughs) All right. Now, for the last part of the show, you got options. So you can either option A, give us just some parting words of wisdom. Option B, Mm. tell us what would your self today tell your 12-year-old self? Or option C, mm-hmm. both?
1: I think I'll try to do
0: both. All right. I like it. Let's go. Let's okay. go.
1: Um, the 12-year-old me. The 12-year-old me would have been... Um, um, I wouldn't know. That That time when I was 12 years old, I wouldn't have, like, even realized, even thought for a second that I would find myself on, on big stage. So I'll tell myself, my 12-year-old Moshe, like, look, there is a bright future ahead. You're going to play a big part in people's lives. So be smart, be respectful. Because I was, when I was a kid, I was a punk as well. You know, when I was in high school a little bit, I was, you know, sometime where I was naughty. But I will tell that little kid that, hey, be smart, be focused, and there's a future that you have a part to play in people's lives. Now, the other part, the wisdom part, so this this stuff is hard sometimes. The work we do is hard sometimes. It's exhausting, demoralizing, and sometimes frustrating. You know, advocacy work, that's what it does. And over the years doing this work, I've seen people burn out, like completely exhausted and, and leave, you know. And so I do understand because you'd think like you've moved five steps forward and then suddenly you're taken seven steps backwards. So it's exhausting, but um, I always encourage those that want places like here, like everywhere else to be better, to continue uh, working towards that. It's it's hard, it's hurtful, but that's what it is. And I would close it by saying, aluta continua, meaning the struggle will always continue. It's our time now to do whatever we can during this time. Wherever we're going to stop, our kids going to pick it up from there.
0: Facts. Oh my God. So, what did you think?
1: That's good, my friend.
0: Yes. Really bad. Oh, good. we went hard. Mm-hmm. The cash.